As y'all are being seated, if you'll take your Bible and open it up or turn it on, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1 today. I love hearing you all sing. I venture to guess that in many of your lives that uh, music is playing frequently. How many of you guys always have music in the car, on the Alexa, somewhere going on? Uh, you know, it's actually a rather new phenomenon that we listen to music a lot because that came into society. For centuries, people would actually gather to sing music together. And so before you had TV, people would gather in people's houses and they would sing together. They would, uh, when they were working out on farms or even sometimes in factory work, they would sing to pass the time. And as society has changed a little bit, We've started listening to music a lot more and singing music less. But one of the great things about church is that we come together into this room not to receive a show, but to be a part of a group of people who are worshiping together. And so I just love hearing you guys sing. Because one of the things that people knew for centuries is that music is the language of the soul. And there is something powerful and there is something healing about just being a part of a group of people who are singing together. Amen? So let me encourage you whenever we sing those hymns, sing it out. Sing it out. For seven years, uh, I pastored Millwood Church in Austin, Texas. And every summer, uh, we would go on a mission trip to Acuna, Mexico, just over the border. And we would visit a colonia there. And in this neighborhood, it, there was the most poverty that I have ever, ever experienced. People were living in houses, and their houses were built out of shipping pallets with cardboard on it. And they were these little cardboard huts, and children were being raised. This is how people were living for generations in these little colonias. And so we began going down, and we formed a relationship with one of the neighborhoods, and this became our annual mission trip as a church. I always like to say that a good mission trip has a mission. There's a reason why you're going, and you know why you're going. And so when we would go on this mission trip, we had three things that we wanted to do. Number one, we would run a VBS for the children. And so there was one building in the Colonia that had air conditioning. That was the church. And so we would do a VBS during the day, and the kids would come, and we were able to minister to them and get to know them. And then in the evenings, whenever the parents would come back from their jobs, we would do a church service, and we, we had joint church services, and it was just a really special time of our church and their church in the Colonia, and then we would eat together. And then the third thing that we would do is that we would build a wood house for one family each year. And over time, you started seeing houses pop up in this little col colonia. And it was a lot of fun. We saw a lot of people saved, and we learned a lot about gratitude. Because when you get out of your comfort zone and you see how other people live, uh, it really helps you appreciate what you have. But now, I, I want you to imagine if we had waited until we got there to figure out what the mission was. All right, we're here. It's been a good trip. Everybody made it across the border, right? Now, let's hold a meeting and figure out what we should do, 
All right, everybody huddle up. We're going to try to figure out why we're here. Matthew over here says, well, I think that while we're here, we ought to build some houses. Paul says, maybe we can sing. Maybe we should just go around with our guitar and sing a little bit. And then Lash pops up, and he says, well, I think we need to do Bible studies, and we can just go around and tell everybody to open their Bibles or turn them on. And, and then Amy pops up and says, I think we need to plant sunflowers uh, here and there around the colonias and just decorate the different homes with the sunflowers. And, and so we have this debate about what should we do. You know, a lot of churches decide their mission like it's lunch. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? What sounds good to you? I don't know. Whatever sounds good to you is fine with me. How about this? We did that last week. How about this? Okay, fine. Let's, let's do sunflowers and construction, and we'll throw in a little Bible study and maybe sing a little bit, and that'll be our mission. All in favor? Aye, 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 aye. And then suddenly we have, we have this mission. And it can be often, often very random based upon what this person likes or what this person likes or what this person doesn't like. And frequently, a church never really checks with the Bible to say, what should our mission be? The reality is that the church is Jesus' idea. You know, the church is the one thing that Jesus ever... He, he didn't hold political office. He didn't try to conquer an empire and establish himself as a king. But one thing that he did establish is the church. It's Jesus' idea. Sometimes people say to me, well, I really love Jesus. I just don't like the church. My problem with that is the church is Jesus' idea. Yeah, it's sloppy because it's about a bunch of people. But it's a bunch of people that have been brought together by God with a common mission. Now, what's more? Jesus didn't just say, okay, here's my teachings, throw it out, and you just go follow my teachings. Jesus said, here I am. Believe in me. Follow me. So at the heart of the church's mission is Jesus. Jesus is the mission. What is our target? Our target is to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, to introduce people to Jesus so that they might know him and they might experience his grace and his meaning in their lives. So we're in this series where we are working our way through Romans chapter 1. I invite you to take your Bibles and look with us there. We're going to be in verse 5 to start with today, and we'll go down and look at a few more verses in the passage. But let's begin here in verse 5 of Romans chapter 1. Through him we have received grace and apostleship. By the way, the him is Jesus. So through Jesus we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. So through Christ we have received grace and God has set us apart to bring about obedience of the faith, essentially to share the faith and to make disciples for the sake of not our name, not so that people can say, hey, look at you guys, you guys are amazing, but for the sake of his name. And Paul specifically is saying, we want to do this amongst the Gentile. So Christianity began at Jerusalem amongst the Jewish people. The apostle Paul took it into what was called the Gentile people. 
And so he says, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about this. But the church at Rome was often excluded. And he says, no, I want you to know that you are included. And so he says in verse 7, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church has been called by Jesus Christ to share the gospel to the end of time and to the ends of the world. You say, well, what is the gospel? The gospel literally means good news, and the gospel is ultimately Jesus. The gospel is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So as believers in Jesus, we believe that he is the eternal son of God that he took on flesh, dwelt among us, he lived the life that we could never live, he died upon the cross, not just as a faithful teacher who believed in his cause all the way to the point of death, but that he died upon the cross as a substitute for you and for me, that he absorbed the wrath of God intended for sin into himself, took that into the grave, but because of who Jesus is, death could not contain him. He overcame death, he rose again, and he extends salvation and grace to all who believe in his name so that when you believe in Christ, God no longer sees you as a sinner. He no longer sees you just in your own personal identity, but he now sees you in Christ. So when you are in Christ, you are God's child and he sees you as righteous, he sees you as redeemed, and you belong to him for all eternity, and he calls you in Christ to continue living your life, not for your glory, but for his glory, so that your life may be a part of his story. And God gives you opportunities, gifts, experiences, so that your life might begin to overflow the boundaries of you, connect with other people, so that the story of the gospel might continue to flow and that your life will connect to another and another and another and the gospel of Jesus Christ might extend to the end of time. But Jesus also says, I want you to know that one day I am coming again. And whenever I come again, I'm not going to come as the innocent baby of Bethlehem, but I'm going to come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And whenever I come again, I'm going to make all things new. And so this injustice and this darkness and the struggle that you live in today, it is temporary. And Jesus says to us, there is a hope that goes beyond. Not just a hope for a cowboy victory on Monday night or for a better life next year or a promotion at your job, but a hope that lasts for all eternity and a hope that can reunite us with those that have gone before us. And all this comes to us through Christ. And when we talk about our mission as a church, it's not just based upon your opinion or your likes. It's based upon Christ. Our mission is Jesus. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to help you learn what it looks like to live that life. So the church in Rome was absolutely extraordinary for several reasons, and, and you'll see it there in the Scripture. Number one, they lived in Rome, which was about as far away from the Bible Belt as you can get. I mean, Rome was where ancient Christians went to die, right? I mean, think about the martyrs. And yet, in the midst of all this sin and all this danger 
a wonderful church had, had sprung up. I find it humorous sometimes the church worries about what will happen if rough times ever come. Pastor, I think rough times are just going to kill the church. Historically, the church actually grows during rough times. People flock to the meaning of life. They get back on mission when life gets hard. And that's what happened in Rome. Even in the midst of a a place where they could be derided and even killed for their faith, the church began to grow because people realized that the gospel really answers the ultimate questions of life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? So this church was in Rome, an unlikely place. Secondly, this church was loved by God. And that seems pretty simple, right? The church was loved by God. Seems like a father saying to his children, I I love you. But there were some people that thought this little church in Rome couldn't possibly be loved by God. They were outsiders. They were full of Gentiles. God couldn't love them. Some of us feel that way as well. I didn't grow up in church. I'm not an insider. My daddy wasn't a deacon. And so we feel like, well, can God possibly love me? And this church was loved by God. And then they were called, but called as saints. You know, a saint is a lot more than a statue that you put in your garden. A saint is a believer in Jesus Christ, set apart for his divine mission. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a saint because you have been saved on purpose for a purpose. And the church in Rome discovered their purpose. And they started gaining a reputation all around the world for their faith. Look look at verse 8. First, I thank God, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. Isn't that amazing? This church in Rome had such faith that the news of it was scattering around all the world. I wonder what our church is known for. How would verse 8 read if we were writing to our church? I, I thank God for all of you because the news of your pumpkin patch is being reported all the way around the world. Because the news of your children's ministry or your student ministry is being reported all the way around the world. I thank God for you because your free coffee and donuts are reaching the masses. What was traveling around the world about the church at Rome? Talk to me now, church. The news of their what? It's on the screen. Faith. The news of their faith. Faith was what was traveling around the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not hating on pumpkins, coffee, or donuts or anything like that. Okay, we do those things, and they they become bridges for us to reach out to people and to minister to you. But I really want to be a church, part of a church where the news of our faith travels. Where people realize that, oh, you know what? There at Murphy Church, there's some sincere Christians who are living out the gospel. Faith can be a confusing word. Sometimes we think of faith as gambling. I watched a documentary the other day on Milton Hershey. Who doesn't love a Hershey bar? 
You know, that guy started building his production plant before he knew how to make milk chocolate. He bought the land and started building his production plant before he even knew how to make the chocolate. You say, wow, that's a lot of faith. No, that's stupidity, right? (laughs) That's just gambling. Well, you know, if he hadn't taken that step, we wouldn't have this great story. Well, how about all the people that took that step that you don't hear the story about because they failed, right? They didn't make chocolate, right? He, he, he got lucky, but that's not faith. That's just gambling. Sometimes we think that faith is just blind optimism. We're just going to name it, claim it. I believe God wants me to soar like an angel. And so I'm going to jump off the roof in the powerful name of Jesus. I have faith. that's going to (laughs) hurt. That's not faith. Faith is leaning into your belief. Faith is trusting God. Our trust in God is not just a blind leap, but whenever we have faith in God, we're also surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who have lived this life before. Our faith is grounded in the truth of the Bible. And Paul says, I'm constantly mentioning you when I tell the good news of Christ. Why? Because this church in Rome had become an example of what it looks like to live out the gospel. They were sincere, they were authentic, and their faith was in Jesus. The church had become Paul's favorite example of just how powerful the grace of God was. And so everywhere he went, He told people about this church. I went to Keller High School, 1986 to 1989. Do the math. How old is he? 51, okay. 1986 to 1989. During my four years of high school, we won six football games. (laughs) We were everybody's homecoming, okay? (laughs) They knew that they could schedule Keller... And they would destroy us. They would beat us. Florist loved us, okay? Because when we showed up, moms were everywhere, you know? We increased floral business in every community that we visited. Imagine if a new coach had suddenly come in and we went from being everybody's homecoming to the state champions. News would spread so quickly we would become an example to everybody of the underdog story prevailing, kind of like TCU, right? (laughs) Sorry, too soon still, right? That was rough, wasn't it? Yeah, set David and Goliath's story back about 20 years right there, didn't it? By the way, the star of David and Goliath is not David, it's God, right? So, So if you're making that parallel on TCU, only problem with that's the Bible, but anyway. So here's the point. Here's what I'm getting at, right? Rome was the last place people would look for a work of God. But God's love had been so powerful. God's grace so amazing. His peace beyond understanding that their faith had become an extravagant example of the power of the gospel. And so everywhere Paul went, 
when he went to Corinth, when he went to Thessalonica, when he went to Athens, he mentioned the church at Rome as he told the good news of God's Son because they were such an example of what it looked like to live out faith. I hope our church is known for our faith. I hope you're known as that kind of person, a person radically committed to the gospel. Look at verse 10. He says, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul was hoping to form a partnership with this church in Rome. And so he had been praying for the opportunity to come see them in person. And he wanted to be able to use the gifts that God had given him to strengthen their faith. Do you realize this, that God gives you gifts so that you might strengthen other people's faith? That those gifts that God has blessed you with are not meant just to terminate upon your life, but you are meant to be a conduit of blessing. And thirdly, he desired that they would be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. One of the reasons why church gathers is so that we might be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. There's a lot of discouragement in this world today. But when I walk in these doors, I realize I'm not alone. Whenever we sing these hymns, I realize I'm not alone. I realize that you're with me, and you're with me, and you're with me, and together we are living out this Christian life today, together, and we become examples and encouragers of the faith. Specifically, Paul was hoping that the church in Rome could help him share the gospel in other parts of the world that had never heard the gospel. This guy's life was completely devoted all the way to the point of death to expanding the reach of the church, to expanding the reach of the gospel. He spent his whole life starting new churches, and then those churches became outposts that helped establish new churches and helped the gospel continue. And Paul didn't start the church at Rome, but he wanted to leverage, he wanted to meet them and, and, and partner with them so that the gospel might continue to extend. And so he says, I have a job to do. But I need some help. I need someone who can help me share the gospel with the world. So I'm looking to the people in Rome. And I believe, Paul believed that in Rome, they understood something. In Rome, they understood that people didn't just need a pat on the head and a bottle of water. The Romans knew that people were sinful, that they were dirty, and that they needed more than just stuff. They needed Jesus. And so Paul says, I'm hoping that we can mutually mutually encourage one another the people of rome they had tasted the love of god and many people thought they were the furthest thing from the saints of god but god was using them some of them may have fought in the armies and saw all sorts of atrocities some of them may have experienced the scourge of slavery some of them may have grown up in the brothels or the gangs they lived in a diverse city full of ungodliness but god found them and loved them And in Christ, God didn't view them as dirty or rejected. He didn't shame them and cast them away. In Christ, he loved them and he called them to be a part of the mission. And Paul says, I need you guys, Rome. 
I need you to be a part. And that's what we're saying in this sermon series. We need one another. We need church to be something more than just a place that you attend. We need it to be a movement that we're a part of together. And together, we live out our faith. Together, we share the gospel. Together, we impact our communities. Together, we pick one another up whenever we fall. Together, we encourage each other. Together, we share the gospel, baptize new believers, disciple them, send them out. Together, we help establish new churches. Together, we support missions. That's the whole point. It's so easy for a church to develop mission drift. It's so easy for a church to just huddle up and say, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Well, okay, this is what we'll do. But Jesus Jesus says, you're supposed to share the gospel. You're supposed to share me. And that's what we're talking about here. And that's what we need. If God has called you to be a part of this church, we need you to see yourself as part of a movement. A movement that lives out and shares the gospel. So there's two... two, um, words that I'm emphasizing throughout this year, invest and invite. I want to encourage you in your life to purposely invest in people. Look for those opportunities to make that investment in people. Don't just walk through life with the earbuds in. Don't let them just go past you. But invest in those people that are in your life. And then invite them. Invite them to have conversations about God. Invite them to coffee. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to church. Invite them to Jesus. So that we as a congregation are truly seeing God do His work in the hearts of others. We're seeing people get baptized. We're seeing people get saved. We're seeing the church grow, not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. And as we grow up in our relationship with God, we grow together, and then we grow out, and we become part of this mission that began 2,000 years ago and continues until the Lord comes again. Amen? Am I alone? We in it together? Let's bow our heads.